I have on the line Jason Nelson. Jason Nelson is a disabled U.S. Army and Marine Corps veteran, and he has a company that I'm kind of excited about. I just learned about it, like literally, um, in the past week. It's called Prepper All Naturals. Sounds like the kind of thing I'm into because you know I talk to you so regularly about the vulnerability of our electric grid. It is a really big deal. I just learned, like yesterday, that the new film that the Obamas put out, what, I, I, no, I didn't write down the name of it, like the world, something, something about the world passing away. Anyway, just Google it, Barack Obama and Michelle's new film. Guess what? The plot is about the grid going down. The grid going down. I've been talking about this for years. And so I see it as the great greatest asymmetrical threat, except maybe a bioweapon. Um, Jason Nelson has a company called Prepper All Naturals. And guess what? All of the products they sell are made in America by this American disabled vet. And even the packaging. He's gone to great lengths to make sure the packaging is also not made by our foreign adversaries, which gives me great comfort because I have to tell you, I have bought more than my share of prepping materials. And how much confidence do I lose when I look at, you know, the solar panel generator, uh, the frozen food, the emergency food, and I see that it is made in a country that is hostile to the United States. Why on earth would I trust a survival product from a country that's basically at war with us uh, one way or the other, whether economically or otherwise? So, online, welcome Jason Nelson. Nice to have you. Thank you so much, Jackie. And that was a great intro. Thank you so much. <laughs> Absolutely. I want people to be able to support American business run by Americans. And you're getting actually your uh, freeze-dried beef. I see it here. Um from Texas, right? This is all American source stuff. So we can all feel good about that. Before I go any further, where can they find your website and buy your products? So that's at, at prepperbeef.com, prepperbeef.com. Uh, you know, it, most people wouldn't know this is actually literally an organic conversation because we just found out before we came on uh, that this was, you know, the case and uh, in your green room. So uh, you know, it's very important. You just touched on such an important point beyond that, being able to depend on the quality of the product. I mean, obviously, they don't want you to survive. So why would they give you something that, you know, would work? But you think the irony in being a company that uh, sells to Americans and purports to be American, that if any of your dependence is on a foreign supply chain, then you've defeated the entire purpose of, you know, your company. That the whole idea is that you're creating a self-sufficient uh, ecosystem. And so our story behind our company was it wasn't just that uh, our beef comes from Texas. No, our we have we have our two cattle ranches that we pull from. I go out and I go to the cows every week. I go walk with our cows because we pre-bought them two years ago. Um, you know, we we know where they come from. Literally, they are slaughtered, hand slaughtered, humanely hand slaughtered here, uh, right here in, in in central Texas, and and they're hand carved. Uh, we you sous vide them right here in our. Uh, uh, a facility and then they're freeze dried. So it's like every step of the way. I mean, everything we did is, is not only just local as can be, but you know, like you said, we, I mean, our oxygen absorbers come from Minnesota. And if you think, I think we're their number one customer. I think they only make them for us. 
So we're really proud of that. And I, I'm always amazed when people sit here and say, well, I'm going to get a product from our adversary to keep me alive. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, you know, it's not often listed in the fine print. Imagine how much sales would go down if these online sellers actually had to put the country of origin onto their products. I have learned order like one thing, see where it's from before you put in a big order, because I just don't trust things that are made in certain countries. So uh, before I go for- forward, because I actually want to write this down for myself again, give me that uh, that website one more time. It's prepperbeef.com. Prepperbeef.com. Okay, that's really easy. All right. Well, you have gained a customer, at least one, by having done this interview uh, already. So, okay, aside from your obvious uh, mission and passion to keep Americans alive in the worst of times, um, you have an amazing true story. And, you know, not many people among us have had to take a life in self-defense, but you have. Um, not just because you were uh, in the U.S. Army and also the Marine Corps, which is somewhat unusual, actually. Most people have to choose one, uh, but not everybody. I, I, can, I can answer that. I okay. went to the Marine Corps first for eight years, and then I went to college, and I learned how to read, and the Marine Corps would take me back, so I had to go into the Army. No, I, I wanted to go Army Special Operations, and the, the Civil Affairs PSYOP side was was way more uh, enticing in the Army side, the resources. So Okay. Well, I don't blame you. Um, uh, although, I think if I had been a, a male, uh, if, I, if I'd been a man, first of all, mom was going to name me uh, John Wayne. That would have been my, my real first and middle That's name. Awesome. I know, right? She, and then she would have called me Duke. Uh, but what I think it would have done is at age 18, probably joined the Marine Corps. And then after being worn out and getting the vinegar out of my system, same thing. I would have wanted to go into special ops and, uh, and, and move in that pattern. So very interesting. So let's get to... Well, I, go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Sorry. Well, I was just going to say, I, you, you have this amazing story. Few people outside of combat would ever experience this. Um, but literally, what I see from what I know of this story is that you and your wife have a date night at the Hotel Indigo which is in Waco, Texas, not far from here. And at 3 a.m., you're awakened to these horrific screams and you witness a woman being attacked by a man who is six foot five, 370 pounds. Basically, you try to de-escalate uh, this person. It sounds like the person got um, was, was bigger than you and was able to slam you into a wall and grab your firearm, but not before... You could get off a single shot and struck the assailant. Okay, that's that's the fact pattern that I know about. Um, so basically, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna I want to get to your impressions about what happened more than even what happened, because you had to fight this person for about a minute before you finally collapsed. We find out you disrupted a sex trafficking operation, um, and thank God. A grand jury has determined your actions were in self-defense. Um, I, I, it's hard to even know where to jump in there. I have a hundred questions for you. Um, but tell it, tell me first, did I get those facts comprehensive? Did I get everything that really mattered in the fact pattern you in which did. you had? 
You did. I, I would only add three quick things. One, um, so I'm 100% combat disabled, and I just had my hip replaced uh, uh, 10 weeks ago. So uh, the fact is that I've done a cane, and I'm no longer at my playing weight of 250, uh, 6'5". I'm, I'm down to 165 pounds due to all these numerous injuries. Wow. Uh, so I could barely walk when this happened. Um, and the second fact that I would want to point out is that not a single person left their room to assist me. Not a single man. I've read all the witness wow. statements. Um, I've seen the 911, I've listened to 911 calls, seen the room, seen what this man was doing uh, to these women. And, um, you know, morally, I feel justified. But in the end, the main reason deadly force was even necessary was that there was no hotel security and not a single man came out there to to assist. And in the end, even if he had grabbed me with multiple men there, we would have been able to defend. But at his size and my size, no, I had no choice. Uh, he went for the firearm. Uh, and, and I, and even after I shot him, like you said, I had to wrestle with him for a minute. So yeah, you got all the facts there, but, um, just wanted to add the little disclaimers, if you will. Quite amazing because you hear this so often that there's an altercation and either no one helps and they all pull out their cell phones. I'm not exactly sure what, for what purpose, I guess, to create evidence or, or for whatever reason. Um, but it is so rare is the person who will put themselves at risk to help someone else. So the first thing is, thank you. And I sure hope that if anything ever happens to me, there's someone like you there to intervene and do something about it. Um, you know, it's, it's just hard to find, even, even among men, uh, people who are willing. Thankfully, the grand jury here in Texas apparently determined Jason, that your actions were in self-defense, so that's why you're able to talk about this. That means that the grand jury actually uh, performed their function in protecting you against prosecution. Um, But tell me a little bit about this. I, I almost wonder why the prosecutor chose to even put it before the grand jury. I suppose it was high profile. Maybe they felt compelled but one would have hoped that a prosecutor would use their discretion to not even bring it before the grand jury because you busted up a sex trafficking operation for crying out loud. You're disabled and you're up against a person who's six foot five, 370 pounds with witnesses. So tell me about how this happened. You know, so you're, you're touching on a very important point there. And I think that it's a, it's a mixed bag on the uh, going to the grand jury, because in a way, I'm actually relieved because had they not no build this, um, and, and this is a greater point, I think that is a little bit scarier that people should realize as we see states evolve their Second Amendment uh, stances and how their legislature protects them. But in a way, this was good for me because it prevented further prosecution in the future by somebody who might be politically motivated to make a point. Yes. Okay. So, good point. Right. So, but that doesn't take away the, I mean, so I'm in the hallway when this is happening and you have to realize that through my brain beyond the tactics of the moment and 20 years of training do help in that matter. But, and beyond the idea of where are the other people, like you said, they'll, they'll view through a cell phone. I don't know why, but they, they won't intercede. And and there's just not a lot of real men left in the world. Um, I can't even imagine not responding to a woman crying for help. Right. I cannot imagine not doing it. Uh, I have two daughters and a wife. Uh, but when when you see that, you know, I was in that hallway and my only 
emotion. I I can remember feeling like I'm alone out here. I'm right. all alone. I remember thinking it at every point during that interaction. And I remember when he grabbed the weapon and I had unleashed around and I thought I'd missed him. And I remember sitting there thinking, um, he's taking the firearm from me. He's much bigger than I am. And I am about to just revert to animalistic behavior to try and stop. I don't know how to stop this man that big. Right. So the whole time you're also thinking, am I going to get shot in the back by the police who arrive? You yeah. know, my wife's on the call and nine one one laying in the bathtub. So then you're, am I going to get shot by them? Am I going, you know, and all of that is just, it was, uh, the, the police, you know, in the end they do show up. We, I was rendering aid after I'd shot him uh, and gotten on, I sent out essentially a nine line to nine one one. Um, and the whole time I'm rendering aid, that was the only time somebody came out to help. Uh, this man came down the hallway when I started screaming for medical aid. And uh, the police still showed up and they put a, you know, uh, a, you know, they approached and, and put a, a weapon to my back and, and, and put me in cuffs. And not only that, they went into my, my hotel room and put a weapon in my wife's face wow. and, and a ballistic shield and a weapon and made her get in cuffs. And for no reason, I still don't understand why they did that with her. But the point is, is that, you know, this entire time throughout this process, there's this thing where. I, I it, the larger picture of me looks back on it and thinks that the situation shouldn't have devolved to that far. But even when it did, it was so clearly that we were in the right, our, our interactions and to be treated and have to be worried about prosecution and possibly being at, uh, the victim of an unattended police shooting or, or anything of that nature. I mean, my wife is still traumatized. Oh yeah. You know, she's still in therapy over this. Oh yeah, for sure. So yeah, these are the Waco police. We're, we're heavy handed. Um, and, and that's too bad. Um, I guess to, to clarify that they were, they were very, they showed ex- extreme restraint, but the approach in general was very heavy handed. I want to be clear. I, I'm proud of the fact that I wasn't shot in the back. Right. But, yeah. Right. Right. Okay. Yeah. Because you always wonder, um, for those of us who do carry, um, how you would behave in certain situations. And then, when you do the right thing, as you did, you know, there, there's a price to be paid after the fact, which is the process you were put through. In, in this case, I'm so glad it, it turned out well for you. As you said, you got no build. So that's the end of it. Should be. Um, and so, you know, I would ask this. I mean, do you have any regrets or would you have done anything differently? Uh, I mean, even knowing the uh, look, no one in the world I can imagine would want to serve as judge, jury, and executioner. We all obviously you can name extreme situations in which somebody might be feel morally compelled to that, but this is not one of those. This was a situation which, if I could have, if anything could have de-escalated that situation further, I, I I've replayed this scenario a million times. Uh, there are, I, you know, I do have obviously some post-traumatic stress from it. And, um, you know, the thing is, is that I don't think there's anything that I could have done differently. So therefore, because there's nothing I could have done that I had control over and done differently other than not intervene, then I, uh, at that point, I I feel if I was say morally justified, it doesn't make it feel better, but I I wish it had never happened. I wish this man had never made these decisions, decisions in his life that led to this. But you and I both know these are not isolated incidents. No. Um, obviously, we see a rise in violent crime around the country, no matter how they want to skew the statistics in their favor. And 
So, you know, the choice is to not intervene, and I don't think that's an option. Right. Well, I'm just curious, what was the age of the woman that was being trafficked? So, uh, obviously, they did not necessarily give correct information to the police, but these were young young women, um, you know, somewhere in the age of 18 to 22. And uh, unfortunately, as we found out through our lawyers' investigations, you know, we, we, they've essentially disappeared. And that was my wife's greatest fear. To this day, my wife still is worried about those women and the repercussions that they would have received because it, we don't know if this was a single incident, uh, if this was a, a regular use. You know, we're still in the discovery phase right now and understanding what uh, if this hotel was a regular spot, if you will. Um, according to our records, the the gentleman who had gone there, uh, not the gentleman, the monster, the monster who had done this had been back to that hotel most multiple times for multiple stays and had a relationship that was known at the police um, with the uh, traffickers. So, you know, all of these facts as they come out, um, it doesn't make you feel better, but uh, it does make you understand why why this happened and and why it was necessary to get involved. Right. Well, you know, the Dallas Morning News did a really great expose on human trafficking in Texas because we are a border state. So a lot of people get trafficked across the border. Uh, they reported that the average age of a trafficked person in Dallas is 13. 13. And the average lifespan of a trafficked person in Dallas, Texas, is seven years after entering being trafficked. And the reasons for that, I have friends who are prosecutors. They said, you know, it's everything from um, drug overdoses, very common, uh, abuse. They just disappear no one ever finds them again, um, or uh, a number of other things. But, uh, you know, untreated medical conditions and things like that. Um, you know, Go ahead. People think of, they, they say that, that uh, prostitution is a victimless crime, but what they're seeing on the – first of all, it's not a victimless crime because the majority, 95% of women uh, are, have been trafficked for, long, you know, for years prior to that. Uh, it's it's not victimless, and and you're just perpetuating the cycle. And most people don't believe it happens in their small town, right? And and there's a ton of it here in Dallas. Um, I met a lady who was just quickly was brought into it when she was about 15 from Coppell, Texas, which is Dallas Fort Worth. She believed she was doing it out of her own volition. She ran away from home, and she thought she was making a big girl decision that this is what she wanted to do. She finally got out of it, which was risky. She went back to one of her friends who was still doing it and said, leave this world. And and she said, I'm doing this of my own volition. This is what I want to do with my life. She said, let me ask you a question. What would happen tomorrow if you told your pimp, I'm not showing up. I'm going to take the day off and lay out in the sun. What would happen? And she said, she just burst out laughing and said, that would never happen. And she said, why not? And she said, because he beat the hell out of me. And she said, have you ever realized you are not free to go? You are not free to go. And this girl told her story. She's like, listen, I never had a day off unless I had the flu. You know, they, they worked her through every holiday, every birthday, every Super Bowl, every NASCAR race. They fly them all over the country. And um, it was a true story and a scary story. These people are not free to go. This is a, a form of slavery, frankly. Um, and so... Anyway, I'm, I'm sorry to monopolize this conversation. You are my guest. Uh, but I really feel like I have to tell people 
about this and that it's real. And there was you. You're actually a real life example of someone who witnessed it, chanced upon it, and had to use lethal force to prevent harm uh, to another person. So I'm just glad it turned out for you. Uh, I mean, I, I'm really, really happy that the system actually worked in this instance to protect you um, and that you're coming forward to tell your story. So, um, I mean, is there anything else you'd like to tell us before we go? No, I, I you know, you are, uh, you're dead on with all of that. I, I could, I unfortunately do the incident happening. I felt a lot of people feel compelled to come forward to me and just as, during the pandemic, you know, whistleblowers, people come forward and they share stories. And uh, when I say unfortunately, meaning I, it's just, they're horrific. And these are monsters that are that are um, conducting slavery. And we don't need to get away from that. We don't need to shy. We, we have a new sin in this country that, that's, a, you know, it's a result of bad border policy, of horrible border, border policies, of drug use, um, of being complicit and and the and allowing our legislatures to let this happen, and I just hope that America wakes up to it because it's downright um, you know embarrassing that at this point right now as we speak, there's a child in every single state who's being trafficked at this very moment, no matter when you hear this, and we need to wake up to that as a nation. I'm talking to Jason Nelson. He is a disabled U.S. Army and Marine Corps veteran, and he is the man at PrepperBeef.com. Again, PrepperBeef.com, all-American supply chain, right here in Texas. Jason, thanks so much for coming on. Thank you, Jackie. Thank you for having me, and thank you for sharing this story. Absolutely.